So, uh, well, welcome to another edition of the Real Social Proof Podcast. I'm your host, David Chance, <laughs> and I have an amazing um, guest today that I've been able to watch. I've been able to watch you move. You know what I mean? Like, not so much what you say or the conversation, even though every time I talk to you, it's like an amazing conversation. I feel like I just went to school for a semester, but um, just watching how you move, man. So I can't wait to get into your story. Mr. Anthony Flynn, what's going on, man? What's up, brother? Man, doing, everything's man? up, bro. Everything's yeah, up, yeah. man. So please introduce yourself to the people. Well, first of all, before I do, let me just say how much I respect you and admire you. I appreciate the work you do, your innovation, uh, your consistency, your drive, your ambition, your persistence. And more importantly, man, the way you care about and inspire others is fascinating. And I consider it an honor to be here, to have the opportunity to, to spend this time. With oh, you. man, listen, this interview is about to be payback. Every time I talk to you, bro, like you take my mindset to a whole nother level. Oh, man. Man, I appreciate it. Yeah, introduce yourself. Let, let, let's get into this thing. Well, introduce yourself to the people. Well, my name is Anthony Flynn, and I'm the founder of Amazing CEO, mm -hmm. a consulting firm that has a mission to accelerate CEOs and key executives. And I'm married. My wife and I have been together for 22 years. Mm -hmm. We have been married for 18 of those years. We mm -hmm. actually have a 16-year-old son who wow. is going to turn 17 shortly, and we have a 13-year-old daughter who will be 14 uh, here coming up soon as well. We have been living in the Atlanta metro area for nine years now. Wow, man, mm -hmm. that time flies by. From and, where? Uh, actually, 10 years, approaching 10 years. From where? Uh, we moved from Southern California. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha, so we're gotcha. originally from Memphis, Tennessee, so my wife and I, we're not quite high school sweethearts, but we both had our eye on each other starting right. in high school. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. So, okay, yo, you know what I've been I've been noticing lately, man? Um, successful men, successful mm -hmm. just just the successful men that I've been uh, coming across lately, they all got like long-standing relationships. Uh, <laughs> Is there yeah. something to that? I think so. I think so. Uh, for me personally, a huge part of my success is attributed to my wife. I think what marriage has done for me, let, let me say this, and I've said this before, you know, marriage has been the hardest thing I've ever done mm -hmm. because of my story and my background, and I can share more about that later. Uh, I just didn't have a great model growing up. Right. But also, it's been the greatest blessing of my life because it has squeezed out of me the impurities, if you will, mm -hmm. of life and, and has brought the elements of greatness out of me. I'm not there yet right. by any stretch of the imagination, but the glimpses, anytime I've had even a slight glimpse of greatness at anything, I genuinely believe from the bottom of my heart that it's been through my wife stretching me, through God using my wife to stretch me. So through living life out with her, my flaws have come out tremendously. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I boldly confess that I've had, you know, numerous engagements of therapy, coaching, Etc. I've had to lean on so many others because, again, I didn't have models growing up. Mm. I was born to a teenage mom in poverty. And so you can read between the lines in terms of the story. A, a, my stepfather eventually came into the picture. But even there, man, honestly, we didn't have uh, the best of relationships. We had a good relationship. He was a great provider. But but I think I was missing a whole lot uh, that a, a child would normally get from a father who pronounced a blessing over his or her life. Uh, who really gave them the emotion and the affection and everything they needed. And so marriage has been rough uh, early on for many years, but it's taught me so much about the flaws and the brokenness of my own life and story. And through that, the willingness to make the adjustments mm -hmm. 
it has been the aspect that has allowed me uh, to overcome and get to where I am. So I think that's the key mm. is those men who've been in expansive marriages, who've been faithful and consistent in those marriages and who've been willing to make those adjustments mm -hmm. as marriage draws out those pain points. That to me is a is a key ingredient to to that. You know, what? and that makes sense because uh, we can create parallels between a consistent business owner and someone who lacks consistency and the outcome is different. And you were saying, you know, consistency, commitment, obviously yes. people aren't committed to like, you know, their idea or their dream or their commitment is based on um, the circumstance where they're at now, Absolutely. right? If it gets too tough, they're like, I don't know if I'm committed to this, but if yeah. you can get through that, that becomes a successful, you become a successful CEO at that point, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Huh. I think we might have cracked the code. Huh. If you want to be successful, get married and stay married for man long. <laughs> so, uh, so just give us, give us a little bit of background about your career, man, what you've done. Yeah, so I, very interesting, man. I, I, I mentioned to you before we obviously started the interview that I was blessed to sign a full football scholarship mm -hmm. uh, to play ball in college. I'm a full scholarship player who never played a game. I had a few injuries. Yo, I just realized my headphones. Why didn't you tell me? Oh, I, you didn't notice? I did. I just I realized, like, yo, are my headphones in? I look stupid right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Proceed. Sorry. Okay, so uh, you want me to start over? No, no, no. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. My, my audience knows me. <laughs> okay, okay. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> well, yeah, well, uh, again, I, in summary, man, had the opportunity to, you know, get a full scholarship, ended up giving it up. I went away to college. My f college roommate was literally selling cocaine, selling drugs, selling cocaine out what? of my room. Uh, and so ended up getting locked up. He did 16 years of federal time, nine different federal pens. In the dorm. Well, well, he was in the dorm distributing. Right. You know? and, and, and so, so you were there like watching this. Well, I didn't even know I was watching it because I was ignorant to the game. Like, oh. it's funny because I grew up around, but just I, I just didn't. I didn't. I mean, I, w I wasn't completely oblivious to it, but I obviously we had people running in and out quite a bit. And so what happened was I asked them to move me down the hall. Mm -hmm. And and then, frankly, things ramped up for him quite a bit. But the point was, we we were that was my boy. Like, that was my soul time. Like, if he will, on campus, we came in together as well, the. Why did you get moved? Why did you want to get moved? Because I distractions. So, man, these dudes were shooting craps in the hallway. <laughs> Literally, I mean, I couldn't study music banging, of course, them smoking, mm. et cetera, things like that. So I'm like, man, I got to get out. So I had enough wisdom to actually ask to be relocated. But then I realized, man, I'm in a small town, a small college town. There's no opportunity outside of this group. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't see, I saw a lid on my life. Mm -hmm. Even early on, I was able to recognize that. And so frankly, I gave up my scholarship after one semester and relocated back home and finish out at the University of Memphis. Really? And, uh, and so I had eventually walked on the team because I had to sit out my scholarship transfer year. And I'm, I'm asking you a question. I, I had to, so I walked on the team and in long, long story short, through a series of injuries and everything, it didn't pan out. So I ended up, man, just focusing on business and mm. was blessed to graduate student of the year in my major. Wow. I was in inroads and graduated, I was intern of the year. So I had some major corporate opportunities that led to tons of job offers for me mm -hmm. uh, after college gotcha, and gotcha. ended up working for two Fortune 100 Giants. And at 24 years old, I had the dream job. I had a four state territory. I was the youngest person in my company in mm. my role. 3M was the company. 
you know, or the sticky they do like sticky stuff among other things. But yeah. I, but we actually had a pharmaceutical division, hmm. and if, if most people didn't know, but 3M manufactures like asthma inhalers. So all the actual really? inhalers themselves were manufactured by 3M. And then we yes. had a pharmaceutical division. So I actually had a four-state territory where my clients were asthma, uh, you know, for, for clients. So allergists, cardiologists, pulmonologists, and pediatricians. So basically where they saw asthma patients. And then we had a product called Tambacor uh, that cardiologists distributed for cardiac arrhythmia uh, was, the, was, uh, was the product mm. offered. And so, man, I had the world promised to me. I could have made millions of dollars in corporate America and done a ton of things, you know, in that space. But I was miserable every day I looked in the mirror. Wow. And I realized that I had spent my life, the boy from the hood, born to a teenage mom in poverty, who had made a transition. I got bused to this white, wealthy school in high school, and my success became my guide mm. because I wanted to prove to everybody around me that I was good enough, that I was smart enough, et cetera. And then, of course, by giving up football, which was near and dear to my heart, I went on an identity crisis spiral. Mm. And so I think success became the answer in my mind to, as the remedy and the cure to what I had given up. Gotcha. And when I got access to that at 24, man, I was miserable. Mm. And so it was at that point that I walked away. I took 25,000 a year and no benefits to be uh, an outreach pastor at a startup church. And, uh, and we had wow. tremendous success. The church, we started with 60 people. Myself and the senior pastor were the only two full-time people. And with 60 volunteers, we grew to 10,000 members in a matter of four years. It was, it was literally unbelievable. In, in Memphis. How did you do that? Entrepreneurial. That's where my entrepreneurial spirit kicked. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so my business background and the pain of my story combined really supported with the opportunity to grow a church. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, the pastor was a genius in terms of ministry, church planning, he had been in uh, youth ministry for years. He was one of the top youth pastors in the country. And so when he planted a church, he had just a unique way of engaging the community. We did radical out of the box stuff. Uh -huh. And I was crazy enough to come alongside it. And he and I together, man, among obviously a community yeah, right. of others, we did some unique stuff. And so that led to a number of other opportunities that eventually brought me to Atlanta. So if you so, were gonna put that into steps to grow from 60 volunteers to 10,000, if you're yep. going to put that in steps, what will be some of the steps you can remember? Like we did this, then we did this, and then we banked. Well, then. well, one of the things is, I mean, so in correlating it to business, the, one of the first things was literally identifying the gaps in the marketplace, right? Mm. So we moved into a community that had experienced white flight, and it was swiftly becoming what was formerly the place to be in Memphis, Tennessee. It was becoming the highest rated gang infested, crime infested community in the city. Wow. And so we literally took over from a white church that had 12 members and it was a dying congregation. So we, we came right in and fortunately the pastor had enough wisdom to see that all of the churches around aren't meeting the needs of the community. Right, They're right. still doing church traditionally. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, that was the starting point. What do the people in the community actually need? What are right. they looking for? What are the pain points in the community? And so we began assembling a, a group of people to identify and address those pain points. And so I think that was step one. Uh, then beyond that, establishing a leadership team that could actually carry out the mission. Now I'll say this too, we did a really good job of really structuring the ministry. So mission, vision, core values, and 
really painting a picture for the vision that we wanted to create for the community. Right, right. And so identifying the pain points, being willing to pull a team together to address those pain points, and then really painting a picture for the vision of growth for the community. Mm -hmm. Here's what we see where this is blighted. We see an opportunity center right, right, right here, right? And we literally painted a tangible, visible picture for what it was we wanted to create. And people followed, man. People flocked oh. to that. Yeah. Wow. So how often do you give the vision to your leadership team? Me like how, yeah, no, I'm saying, but how, how often, so, you know, you guys, because that's a phenomenal story going from yeah. Yeah. Uh, a congregation of 12 people, y'all come in, 60 volunteers to 10,000. Um, like, what was that vision like that he was painting? Well, I think, so, under, so connecting the dots between, again, the needs of the community and the hearts of the people. Mm -hmm. and and painting a picture that you even as an individual have the ability to contribute to revolutionizing the community gotcha. and and repeating that message over and over and over and incessantly yeah. you know and i think again even correlating it to our businesses every day right you have to get up every day yeah. and repeat to yourself over and over and over incessantly what's driving you and why you're getting up every day to go deliver on what it is you say you want to deliver on. Mm. In that situation, what is one of the major challenges? And, and I mean, over that period of time, I'm sure there had to be some point where you was like, yo, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work. Yep. What was one of the major things and how did you get over it? So this is interesting because you and I both know a lot of people long for the kind of growth and the kind of acceleration that we had. Yeah. This was my best example of growth being a hindrance in some regards like mm. I learned that you could literally grow yourself to death <laughs> and and so that helped me a ton in terms of calibration going forward in my career and all the way up to this right. point I don't want to grow too fast right. I would rather not have hockey stick growth right. I'd rather have stair step growth where you grow and then you stabilize and then you grow and then you stabilize and because we had mm. such swift and radical growth there were threats of implosion on a number of occasions mm. and the wheels were rocky all the way through right because you're just throwing people in leadership positions right. and it's almost like learn on the fly just just go get yeah. it and you have no time to like vet the people that you're putting in leadership absolutely and I, I also learned the lesson of being careful about trying to grow through charisma mm. but actually truly trying to grow through infrastructure mm. which was a big deal as well and I think a lot of people that's a gem right there <laughs> yeah because a lot of people especially like in this this space we're in of like personal branding right absolutely we're good at what we do yeah charismatic but the infrastructure is always lacking for absolutely. that type of person because they're so busy being charismatic absolutely goodness absolutely. gracious absolutely oh uh. yeah okay all right yeah that, 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 that messed me up a little bit that was good that was good all right so you're there you're obviously not there anymore how did it come to an end or well, for you and your yeah journey? yeah yeah so actually you know i was blessed man i got recruited from a national organization in southern california that asked me to come in and function as coo with the intent of succeeding the founder and so i eventually became ceo mm. of that organization and it was the largest organization in the country that trained inner city urban youth pastors so during my six-year tenure we trained twenty-three thousand plus uh, individuals who work in urban inner city ministry, majority of them bivocational, because in lower income communities, many ministry leaders are bivocational. 
because they're Five vocational. Okay, so so in other words, they work a full time job, right, 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 and they're doing youth ministry on a very small stipend or even in a volunteer state, right. because the the community, the ministry community, can afford to compensate them well enough to actually live and eat. Right, right. And whereas in a lot of our suburban context, you know, they, there's full time staff. I mean, they have multiple staff focusing on student ministry in our case mm. in most cases there's one or two people trying to do everything mm. and so we specialized in in training for that niche of people and persons who they worked a full-time job right. but they wanted to give their heart and soul to serve in their community uh in the evenings right, or right, on the right, weekends right. if you will but you got recruited but why'd you leave well it was an opportunity for me to do what i was doing on a national scale God. Right. So the work we did in the community and, and by the way, let me back up. I had the privilege of starting a community development corporation before I left Tennessee. And, and so mm. it was called the Power Center Community Development Corporation. I eventually brought in a successor who was stellar and knocked mm. it out of the park. Uh, that corporation, man, eventually gave birth to several schools, uh, a community, a community performing arts center and a number of other things. So they're doing tremendous work still to this day. Yeah. And I was able to hire a successor who came in and just absolutely just knocked it out of the park. Right. And so that freed me up to actually be able to go to Southern California and think about how to help communities across the nation. Right. So at that time, I had been limited to my home city right. and in literally my hood, like Hickory Hill mm -hmm. community, we called Hickory Hood. And if right. you go to Memphis right now, you know exactly why. Like my mom still lives in the area. When you walk out of her front door, there's gang graffiti on the fence mm -hmm. right in front, you know, and right. so drug deals, happening constantly cops chasing in the streets i mean that's the community and so that was my experience while i was doing well i knew that i, I felt like god was calling me to do something bigger and by bigger meaning having a broader impact gotcha. what we were doing was big but but i felt like i could bring influence to other communities around the country and even even globally and so that was my opportunity to step out and take charge in that space it must have been a hard conversation though it was, right. it was, uh, it, you know, because everything was there. Our stakes were in the ground. Yeah. We grew up there, our families were there and everything. But my wife and I both just had greater ambitions for impacting God's kingdom. And so I think that that took us there. So. Gotcha. Are y'all still cool? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Good, I'm good, still, good. I'm still, I've, I'm. That's like Robin leaving, like yo, Batman, like yo, what's <laughs> yeah, up, yeah, man? Yeah. We, we yeah, take yeah. it on the city together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, every, I'm blessed, man. I've, I've managed to maintain solidarity in all of my relationships yeah. up to this point, in every place that I've, you know, left, gotcha. if you will. I still am a contributor in some, in some capacity. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So. Okay, so, so fast forward to I guess more recently. Um, one, you were just telling me about like some some amazing stuff you got going on, like an investment group, right? Oh yeah. And I saw I saw an article where it was like five people. They kept putting money together for a couple of years, and then they like bought a house together or something oh, like that. I, yeah. I think that's amazing. But kind of share a little bit about that. Yeah. So we have a community called Beyond the Game Network, and it's myself, Andre Fluellen, who's a retired NFL player, uh, and two other guys, Brian Zwerner and Ricardo. Uh, and Ricardo Diaz and, and basically those two guys, Ricardo and Brian, have worked in the investment banking world and have done a number of transactions that give them the experience to help other people look at deals. Right. Andre and myself had this passion because I've spent so much time working with professional athletes and Andre was and is a professional athlete, mm. you know, who frankly doesn't mind sharing the fact that he transitioned from the game and went down to zero. 
Mm. And so we How have. How does that happen? It, believe it or not, 88% of NFL players are bankrupt, divorced, or unemployed within three years of transitioning from mm. the game. And it's a cycle. And so that's a great question. How does that happen? And that's a whole nother episode right, 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 that right, we, could, right. we could go on. But bottom line, Dre and I had a passion for altering that, 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 that statistic. And right. so we've assembled this group, and our goal is to bring other athletes in 100% to teach them about the business of investing. Mm -hmm. So there's no financial obligation to them or anything. They get to show up on a monthly basis and just learn how to look at deals. Mm. And we have a process that we show them, this is, what, this is the process you walk through when looking at a deal and scoring and rating a company based upon these categories of interest. So, mm. uh, so I, I think that, that what, what it will do is it'll change the game because they get approached so much. And the tendency right. for most of us is when something feels right to us, right. we automatically let's assume, go. Yeah, let's go. Exactly. Right, right. God told and, and me. We, exactly. <laughs> and we think we have the, 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 the brain power that we think we're good enough right. instinctively to make a decision like that. Yeah. And you're not that great. Not, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sure. in, fa in fact, a philosophy we have is that in order to find a unicorn, you're probably going to need to look at at least 100 companies, mm. at least 100 companies. And you're lucky, lucky if you find a unicorn in looking at 100 companies. Wow. That doesn't even happen. To find a decent deal, even, you know, you're going to look at 100 companies. Right, right. So th that just puts it in perspective. So if you've seen 10, mm. uh, I mean, if you're that good, right. I think everybody would be following you. Right. right. If, if you could just pick off of, no, there's a process you need to go through to really understand what it means to to see a company that is a good deal. Gotcha. Yeah. Give me a, a, a formula that you use in business. Like, is it like your four four, your four P's or something? Give me a formula that people can take away from this and say, OK, I need to follow this checklist. Anthony said first this and second this. What is a formula that you have? Well, do you mean a formula for decision making, a formula for just like, give me one? Well, just any formula. Yep. Well, I have a so the way I manage my consulting business is there's there's five P's: people, product, process, the four pillars of business, which under the pillars are management, operations, marketing, and finance, and then the final P is philanthropy. Mm. So people, product, process, pillars, and philanthropy. Walk me through that. Uh, well, so the people is literally the people of the business. So thinking about leadership development, et cetera, and all the aspects of people, mm -hmm. right? Because essentially people drive the business. Most consulting agencies will look at the business through the lens of its processes, its mm -hmm. technology, and all of that. Whereas I genuinely look at the business through the people. If you bring the right people on board and they're empowered, equipped, skilled, et cetera, those people ultimately drive process and everything gotcha. else. So people, the product itself, right? right. You need to have a good product. For sure. Um, People, product, process. Of course, now I think of process coming in behind those elements, and then of course. Give me an example of a process. So, uh, Chick Fil A, right? right? They have a process from from getting the chicken to the chicken sandwich, right? Right, right, <laughs> right? right. And, and why people keep showing up in their drive-through window constantly buying the chicken mm -hmm. sandwich. So there's a whole process that and also even the speed through which you can get a chicken sandwich mm -hmm. right so th you know having a good process in place that provides good products uh, and and delivery with the expectation that the customer has in mind 
Have you ever went to a company and found out their process was broken? And uh, if you do, oh, give, give me an example of like where, like, yo, you got all these things right, but you're not making any money because there's a, there's a break in the chain of your process. Give me an example. Well, I, I can speak to, frankly, nonprofits, mm -hmm. a, a nonprofit example where, uh, where you know, a, a, an organization that could be five times its size, mm -hmm. but the, and, and, and using the one that I frankly ran in California, I think we could have been 10 times our size. Right. But I think what happened for us is from a process vantage point, we made a lot of random decisions about where to direct our energy and our time and our resources. And it was difficult for us to really follow a structured process. So creating a strategic plan and actually sticking to that plan, naturally things happen and you make adjustments. Mm -hmm. But I think the willingness to say, here's the plan that we want to execute on and live out. But a, 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 something would glisten over mm -hmm. here and the founder would have the tendency to actually run to the glistening object. Right. And, the, and if you think Even about it. It's not a part of the process. Right. That thing isn't in this chain right here. Exactly. And if you think about a founder-driven organization, the energy of the team follows the founder a lot. Right. right. Because the founder built the team around their personality, if you will, and, and their, their energy, et cetera. And so when that founder moves, so goes the organization. And so on a, on a frequent basis, we would breach our process, mm -hmm. if you will, for getting to the end result. And it created a lot of tension uh, within the framework of, and this was a multi-million dollar organization. I mean, it wasn't yes. a small, this was a multi-million dollar venture. Mm -hmm. So it can be very disruptive in a negative way when the process is breached. Let's build a business together. I just want you on my team. Oh right? man, let's like go. Do something crazy. Let's go, bro. <laughs> right, Seriously, so we need to talk about that after the yes. podcast. Ah, y'all hear that? <laughs> let's go. All right, so the four pillars, number four is the pillars. Yep, yeah, right? so management, operations, marketing, and finance. So those are basically anyone, if you're building a business, you may not, you may be a one man team or one woman team mm -hmm. at this point, but you, you want to begin to think about what this business could look like and, and generally speaking, those four elements are gonna be a part of a healthy business. So management, management, operations, operations marketing, marketing, finance. Finance, yep. gotcha, yep. gotcha. Yep, yep. That makes uh, sense, that yeah. pretty yeah. much got it covered, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 and so it pretty much any, generally speaking, anything you do in a business, especially as it's growing, it's gonna touch on those, those elements. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, and yeah. what's the fifth thing? Uh, philanthropy, okay. and so I think especially in today's climate, you know, social enterprises are launching left and right. Mm -hmm. And just the do good mentality right. is a big deal in this in, mm -hmm. in this in this culture. So being conscious about how you give back and expressing a spirit of generosity right. for the community that you serve and just for, you know, the business, uh, the, the customers, if you will, that you serve. Gotcha. So philanthropy is like really like a strategy, even if like you're a CEO to the core you might be selfish. This is something you probably need to implement as a business strategy at the very least. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it should be a part of the core of your business. Yeah. Me personally. Right. And, and, it, it, and, and what I mean by that is not that, not that, for example, if you're running a business that investors are part of, they mm -hmm. want to see their profits right. and they want to see high margins. There are still ways to incorporate philanthropy in a business structure like that where gotcha. it's you know where it's more important for the investors to gotcha. see higher margins 
in the business. And so even thinking about ways to volunteer, mm. you know, uh, I mean, you could do volunteer hours and other things, project-oriented things that don't necessarily eat away too much at the bottom line of the business, right. but still allow you to have presence in the community. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, do, you, do you deal with a lot of small business entrepreneurs? I do, yeah. Give me like three or four things that you notice consistently that we as small business owners do wrong. You notice it's the same conversation. Yep, yep. So one, I, I would say most of us overestimate who we actually are <laughs> and underestimate who we have the capacity to become. Ooh, run that back, run that okay. back. That was good. Most of us overestimate who we actually are and underestimate who we have the capacity to become. So a lot of small business leaders are getting up every day and, and, and they're running and gunning and in their minds, they're already there, mm. right? In their minds, they're great, they're phenomenal, et cetera. And they can't figure out why there's a gap between what they want to accomplish and what they're actually accomplishing. And, if, and in my opinion, take a step back and have an honest conversation with yourself about who you are and where your business actually gotcha. is so that you can make those adjustments. And, you, and, and yes, you are talented. Yes, you are skilled. Yes, you have the capacity to grow. But the reason you're not is because you're in your mind, you're already there. Right, Does right, that make sense? Right, absolutely. And it's, it absolutely. sounds simple, but it's not easy for people to execute on constantly taking a step back and self-assessing and reevaluating. Exactly. Right. And so I think, man, just that alone is a game changer yeah. because, for example, just stopping and saying, I'm literally weak in this area. Yeah. Stop trying to pretend like I'm not. Right. The admission of that weakness allows me to then bring other people and resources on board. That could be a game changer for mm -hmm. my business. Right. But I'm still in my mind prideful enough to think that I can get that done and that done and that done right, and that right. done too. Right. And you can't. <laughs> when did you realize you just weren't Superman? Oh, man. I, I think. I know, especially going from 60. It's so important that black voices are represented in black media for so many different reasons. And the next generation of black uh, voices and influencers from black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collections, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. And every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Smyrta to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. I listen and I'm enjoying these conversations that are for us, by us. Black representation, again, it hasn't always been uh, shared from our perspective. And black perspectives haven't been censored in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR. Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen to the Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get podcasts. 
All right, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you can keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headache, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. It just makes sense. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit from NetSuite? I know you see it. Listen to me. If you have everything scattered in business, you cannot grow. And everything is more expensive when you have more and more processes layered on top of each other, more and more softwares. You got to get out of that. and it, it will improve efficiency and cut costs. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com slash social proof. That's NetSuite.com slash social proof. NetSuite.com slash social proof. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Volunteers of 10,000? Yeah. You yeah. throw your cape on a little bit. That, right? that was probably when, when I moved to California, when I made that transition, and, and life slowed down for me, and I was able to actually whew, catch my breath and realize all the brokenness yeah. in my life. So, so it's interesting because that growth and that acceleration allowed me to hide in many ways from, mm. the, from the brokenness of who I really was. And then when life slowed down, I had another facing in the mirror to realize, oh, my gosh, like, man, there's a lot of stuff that's still in me that's been buried that needs to come out. And I need to get help. And so I, I began therapy for the first time when I was in California. Right. That one of the best decisions I ever made, uh, you know, both for my wife and I and for me as a human being. Mm-hmm. And, and I highly encourage people, man, invest in therapy, coaching, et cetera, constantly. Like right. I'm on the, I'm on the, it's in my budget. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like right. I, because I'm, you know, I'm broken. Mm-hmm. I, I come from a broken and sick situation as a child. And so I know that. And so there are all kinds of blind spots around me all the time. And I really, truly need people to help me see them so that I can continue to grow. Versus most people try to hide and pretend like they're not there. And the irony is the byproduct is where you are in your business. Right. Like like you designed the life that you're living right now. Mm -hmm. It's by design, intentionally or unintentionally, it's by design. Right. And part of what can help you go to the next level is the willingness to admit and tell the world that I'm broken, that I'm sick, that I have challenges and that I need help and the willingness to surround yourself with the help you need 
is the irony of what accelerates you. Wow. Do, do you mind sharing, you know, one of the chinks in your armor that you were really battling with? Because I think, obviously, they see people on the interview, you know, like, yo, this guy's got it figured out. But we don't, right? We all yeah, have, yeah. you know, these issues. So somebody might be dealing with something that you dealt with. Um, do you mind sharing something like that, that you were, that was really a cancer and how you got over it? Yeah, I think, frankly, the relationship I had with my mom and my dad, my biological mom and dad, I, you know, because another thing I tell people and I, when I work with my CEOs and executives is we also in corporate America or in the marketplace, we try to hide, we try to separate life from business. And in reality, the two are inseparable. They're inextricably linked. Like what's happening metaphorically after 5 p.m. metaphor, because mm -hmm. most of us don't work until just five, right. but that is ultimately impacting what's happening the next morning when you show up at work. Ooh. Right. So so it's 501 p.m. metaphor again. Mm. You need to be looking at 501 p.m. to 859 a.m. Right. Because when you get to work, you're able to bury and hide some things at times. But man, life outside of work can be crippling to what's happening mm -hmm. in your in your work life. And so for me, the brokenness of my relationships with my mom and my, my biological father mm. and even my stepfather, that that was a weight on me for many, many years. And I had to go through therapy in order to process and heal from and get free from the weight of me feeling like I never got fully from them what I quote unquote deserve to get from them as parents. Mm. And so now I'm able to give to my son and daughter and now even to my wife in ways that I couldn't when I was still broken and bound by that brokenness in the relationship with my mom and my dad. Wow, what was the hardest part about going through that process and what did you do? Like, was there something you really didn't want to do, but you had to for him? Well, well, I think, yeah, man, and this, this may sound crazy to a lot of people who have, who have really close relationships with their parents. Mm. I just had to, the coming to the realization that in order to go to the next level, I had to create some, some distance mm -hmm. between them was a very difficult decision. Because it's interesting, our relationship was on point when I was dysfunctional. When I was, the more dysfunctional I was, the more on point that relationship wow. was. Because I was living the reality that my family lived on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You know, the yelling and the screaming and the arguing and the, you know, ah, and the antagonism and just the constant, ah, you know, and all that energy day was consuming me mm. and keeping me away from acceleration in my life. Wow. And so being willing to kind of back up and give that energy up and in just the constant criticism and the bickering and the arguing and the fighting and the antagonizing and all of that, like taking a step back from that and, 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 and assessing life differently mm. was a challenge. And it, it's created distance between mm. me and my mom and me and my dad in wow. many ways, yeah. And how did that help you with your relationship with your children? Oh, because for example, if I had an argument with my mom, that would carry over to how I engage my wife and how I engage my mm. kids. Because that was my normal. Right. My normal was we, we fight, right? It, the dysfunction was my normal. Wow. And so all of a sudden, I engaged my wife and kids differently. And I was criticized a lot as a child. Told I, I mean, literally, so the irony, you asking me, for example, about this investment group. My mom and stepfather literally told me that it was a stupid idea to consider doing anything relative to venture capital. I mean, flat out. Really? Told me when that, was this? 
Man, as late as last year for my mom, my really? stepfather has since passed. But even yeah. a, even after like your your career you built and Ab absolutely. So I've never like I I don't know, and this is a serious. Just I'm just very transparent. I don't know if you if my mom could tell you what I actually do with my life right now. <laughs> true, true, real talk, real story. You know, <laughs> real, 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 real story. Yeah, I'm just I'm just being honest. Right. You know, and I and 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 that had me bound for years because. The kid in me was always trying to prove mm. that he was good enough and trying to earn right. acceptance. And when I got to a place where I was healthy enough to move past that, that issue around acceptance, it changed everything. Wow. Because I was carrying that to my kids, right? Mm. I, was, I was putting that same kind of challenge on them in a different way, mm -hmm. but just being very demanding in a different way. Right. And right. I realized, just pull back. And so now, it's like, man, I just love my kids. Right, you know, right. I care about their grades. Right, right. But outside of that, you know, uh, man, I just love them. And I'm not, I'm not demanding. I'm not trying to, you know, ah, right. you know, like I used to. Don't get me wrong. Every now and again, I challenge right, them. Right, right. And I keep them in line. Mm -hmm. but, but you get what I'm saying. The same kind of pressure that, that was coming as a result of the pain that I had in, the, in that brokenness of those relationships. I don't apply that pressure anymore. Well, did, did you, did you kind of come across that with the whole football lacrosse thing with your son? Actually, you know what? That was pretty easy. Uh -huh. um, that, uh, for, those, for those that don't know, we were talking earlier, and he was telling me that um, you play football, right. but your son loves lacrosse. Absolutely. And you're like, yo, I can't help you with lacrosse, right. but you need to play football, okay? Right. Uh, so right. like, did you have like some of those, son, football, 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 football? I, I did, I did, but only from the vantage point of seeing it as a pathway. Now, my, my son's an incredible student, by the mm. way. I mean, literally, like, you know, Mandarin six years, straight A's, honors, what? AP classes. Yeah, like, so, he, so I want to be loud and clear. Right. I didn't see sports as a vehicle out as, right. or as the only vehicle out. But for some of the schools that he wants to apply to, we visited Stanford, we visited Harvard, you know, we're going to Duke, you know, schools mm -hmm. like that, having additional things on your resume mm -hmm. add value to your options for acceptance. Gotcha. And so my point was, you can be a really good football player at a private school that he attends mm -hmm. and get some great looks from some of the top colleges in the world. Right. And so I knew how to help him with football in terms of the training, the connections, et cetera. I didn't know how to help him with lacrosse. Right. So that was where I was pushing back a little bit. But again, an example of my change, whereas in the household I grew up in, literally I was told that, that was a stupid idea, that was dumb. Mm -hmm. In this case, I, I literally said, I tell you what, I'll let you go out there. And if you go hard and it works, you got my 100% support. Yeah. And, and literally, I'm feeling it in my bank account. He's, he got, he's got my he's got my 100 percent support. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm putting my money. I where can my imagine money. lacrosse ain't a cheap oh, sport. Oh, it's not the cheap type at of people all. that play lacrosse, they not just hooping. You know what I'm saying? It's a different yes, group. Yes, yes. No a, lacrosse fields in it's a on MLK. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So wow. uh, in the training and the private sessions and everything it takes to be successful at the sport. Mm we're investing in it because right. he, he proved he could do it. And so I, I'm, I'm behind it. Yeah. yeah well, you were telling me, um, and I think this is just a dope strategy on how he's using lacrosse to like really get in front of different colleges, right? Absolutely. They got a different interest. Absolutely. They don't Absolutely. really want Jamal. 
the hoops, right? You feel <laughs> yeah. me? Like, because yeah. we, we don't get taught that. We're like, yo, let's go play basketball. Let's, but we don't look at these other things. So kind of tell us the relationship between, you know, the, the lacrosse sport that he's playing and the colleges that he wants to. Attend. Sure. So a lot of the schools in the Northeast and really on the East Coast pride themselves in lacrosse as a sport. Mm. And so it's a it's definitely a gateway into some of the top Ivy League institutions and schools like Duke University, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, which are practically every year top 20 performing schools relative to lacrosse. Mm -hmm. But notice there is a correlation between their academic options and the sport itself. Wow. Right. So the top schools, the schools that have the top lacrosse programs in most cases have incredible academic options. Mm. And so there is a correlation there. Wow, insane. <laughs> like, we just never think about that kind of stuff. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, all right, so I got, got, got a couple more questions. Okay. Um, you're running the company Amazing CEO. Yep. Um, first, I, I want you to tell us about the company and how you kind of got started. But I also want you to talk about, there's a different type of person between a small business owner and the amazing CEOs that you coach. And yep. I want to know what those different personality types are like. Yeah, so first question again. Um, tell us about Amazing CEO, yep, just, the company. Just generally speaking. Yep, so Amazing CEO, again, is a consulting agency with a mission to accelerate CEOs and key executives. And the mission statement I identified because, again, a lot of consulting agencies and a lot of consulting companies, they work through process, technology. They're trying to drive change through systems. Mm. I'm trying to drive change through the people who are implementing the systems mm. or executing the systems or evolving the systems. Got and so it. my focus is on the leaders, but obviously looking at the business behind the leader, not the other way around. Right, right. And, and so I've been blessed to see some early successes uh, as a result of one, that approach, and two, just the relationship capital that I've established over the years. It's allowed me to, frankly, to build up a pretty quick revenue stream and get, and get things moving uh, in that space. And you, so you mentioned some of the differences. It, I will tell you that. Because you go higher level. Yeah, CEOs. I mean, I have, I have, you know, CEOs in, in publicly traded companies, Fortune 500 companies, down to, down to startups. Mm. I, you know, there's pros and cons, if you will. I, I get blessed because I get to see the pros and cons of both. For mm. example, the bootstrap entrepreneur is going to be more scrappy they're not as afraid or resistant to change. Mm -hmm. They are willing to evolve a little bit more and make adjustments and adaptations a lot right. faster. Whereas the institutional CEA is more risk averse. Uh, the, the institutional CEO right. uh, is more risk averse. They, they're not as quick to make decisions. They're not as quick to jump out and take risks because the system has trained them a certain right. way. And so, there are pros and cons on both sides, and mm. I have the ability to, to look at look at it through through yeah. both lenses. But the human being, somebody who is the bootstrap entrepreneur versus somebody who built something huge or running something huge, because obviously the CEO yeah. isn't always the founder. Sure. But like, what are they different people, or are they the same person just in the time frame? Meaning, yeah. the way they think. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It, there can be a difference. For example. There are people who have become CEOs at larger companies. In, in a lot of cases, they're, they're obviously talented. Mm. You can become a CEO in a larger company by just working the system. Mm. 
mm. if you will, if that makes sense. And the system can protect you and hide some of your flaws in ways that an everyday entrepreneur bootstrapping from the ground up oh. can't be hidden, right? So, yeah, so the impact of a bad decision on a solo entrepreneur or early stage startup entrepreneur, the impact is gonna be, can be much more substantial than the CEO that makes a decision that, you know, it could cost the company a billion dollars. Right. But if it's a $20 billion company, right, right. that company can still make it through, right? right? Because that's 5% right. of their overall operating capital. And that small business yeah. owner, you lose, you make a $2,000 decision that goes bad, and, and you're could, like, And it could be everything. I got an Uber. I got to <laughs> go back to Uber. Right? Exactly, right? And so I think that, so as a result of that, a lot of the, 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 the CEOs and the executives I work with in larger companies, they have the ability to hide behind the institution. Mm -hmm. and, and when they try to, and, and here's where I see it play out the most. In a lot of cases, I'm helping executives make transitions, mm -hmm. like they've retired or they wanna do something different with their life. Right. And, and in that process, it's, it's a difficult leap. Yeah. I'll just say that because they've been accustomed to operating within that large system where they had people they could call on and rely on and they had money already accessible right, right. to them. So they're, they're entrepreneurial, but they're not as entrepreneurial as right. they think they are. So are you, are you saying they're not, in terms of the human being, you don't find certain characteristics of a CEO of a major corporation versus the CEO, typically in a small business, the CEO is the founder. But do you see differences? Yes, well, one, and, and just one big difference. I mean, of course there are differences like that are just very obvious mm -hmm. differences. But I think one big difference, if you were to say, what's one of the biggest differences? It's, it's the, the gene for risk taking. What do you the, mean? The DNA, the gene to take risks. Right. Because it's like me. Most people thought I was bananas to be at 24, the youngest person in the entire company in my role. I had the world promised to me, right? I could have gone on for another 20 years, made millions of dollars, retired maybe in my mid 40s, mm -hmm. which I'm approaching, right. <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, to the average person around me, that's the life. Right, right. I would rather live my life on the edge knowing that I took, I, I gave <laughs> right, right. everything I had to give. And if I fail, so what? Yeah. Versus I live this cushioned, safe, controlled life and rose through the ranks of corporate America and made a ton of money. But mm -hmm. then at, you know, midway through it all, I'm like, shoot, I really want to do this. Right. I really, but now I'm afraid to take the risk to do that because mm -hmm. I'm afraid of what I'm giving up. And mm -hmm. I think that, that alone is a major difference between what, from my vantage point, between some of my small business owners right. and those who worked in large institutions. Gotcha. And, and, and that carries over in life in many ways, in many ways, I'm right. not saying in always. Right. So I don't want anybody to misinterpret what I'm saying, but in many ways, the resilience mm -hmm. of the small business owner, I, I see a greater resiliency factor Mm -hmm. because of their willingness to take risks and rebound and bounce back from them gotcha. because they've been presented those opportunities. Right, before, right. Right. And they have a wiring and a proclivity toward that. Mm. Is that something that can be developed or? I think so. That just got to be in you. Because I, I mean, since I was a kid, I just, I'm the type of person, I'm just going to start. I'm just going to do it. 
I don't really think of, you know, what the outcome's going to be. Obviously, I'm, I'm hopeful for the future. But, you know, some people, they just, their whole life, they're just not wired that way. They're sure. wired to see all the potholes. And I don't even see them. Sure, sure. I think, yeah, I think it can be learned. But I think there's, you know, Usain Bolt running 100 and then there's me. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is we both can run the 100-yard dash. Right. But I think someone who's, who has your wiring or maybe even my wiring, they're probably going to get there faster. Right, right. Because they're, 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 you know, so you can teach a slower person the form <laughs> and everything of how to run the 100, yeah. but they're not going to beat Usain Bolt. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, right. so you can develop to get there in terms of the skills and the protocols and everything required to get there. But at the end of the day, some people just have it. Gotcha. I think I think some people just they just it's just in them yeah. to just go. Right. And, right. and I think you have that get up and just go. Mm. And I think I'm wired the exact same way. And, and, and in many ways, I will say my childhood really enforced and informed a lot of that. Right, and so right. I do believe I personally do believe that there's elements of our life's experiences right. that trigger some of that. You know, mm -hmm. but then I look at my son and daughter. My daughter is more of a risk taker right. than my son. Really? Yeah. So some of that is just DNA. She's yeah. definitely more wired like me. Um, you know, and and you can just see the difference in her willingness to take. Matter of fact, she's literally parasailing right now. Really? Literally <laughs> parasailing this morning, as I speak to you. Right, literally right. right now, she's in Cocoa Beach, Florida, with a friend, and wow. they are parasailing right now. My son wouldn't do that. <laughs> like, yeah. no, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And I think, you know, that, that I've learned one of the strategies is if you're not that type of person, you probably need to get around or partner with that type of people. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm, I'm the get get out and go, but sometimes I, um, I don't see, I have the mentality, everything's going to be okay. Like, right. I'll... Right. When when I reach the problem, I'll just fix the problem. Yeah. Right. But you kind of got to get some people who can see the problem before it starts. Right. So kind of partnering with your counterpart or hiring or, you know, having a team. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and let me and, and even as I was drawing the analogy of my son and daughter, my son is is innovative, creative. He takes risks. But I, I would say the extremity is different or, or the, the, the polarization of the risk mm. is different. So it doesn't mean he doesn't take them, but to the point you made, he's more wired to size up the problem or even take a step back. So right. when a problem is in the air, I rush toward it, right? right? And boom, my son is going to take a step back and size it up and then go to right, it. And right. so that's why I use like the Usain Bolt, like yeah. some of, and, and in some cases, me rushing toward it, it happens, right. but then I, when I mess up, I mess up. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, right. And we're so, gonna take the L, we're yeah, gonna take yeah. a big L. Let's exactly. Go. So, the precision of the person that takes a step back right. is probably over the, the precision of the problems they do decide mm -hmm. to take on over time is probably better. But in the long run, I, th I just personally believe those that, uh, that take more risks faster yeah. in fact i think there was and i and i'd have to go find this but i i think i read like an article where they did some research or something over like the lifetime earnings mm -hmm. of you know of of entrepreneurs that's and it was like a a, a big difference wow. because of of the long term yeah. you know um while there were ups and downs like the market yeah. the long-term value yeah. uh, 
of, of taking those risks fast and recovering from them. Right. Because uh, I think on. you probably get, you get way more experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the best way to learn. And when a problem arises, chances are I've been here before. I've seen something similar to this. Absolutely. Before. So I know how to get around it. But somebody that's a little more calculated, even um, smaller problems, it's hard to handle because they're not used to handling problems on a constant basis. As an entrepreneur, we pretty much solve problems all day. That's we encounter it. them every single day. Uh, absolutely. I, I can't remember I, I had, where in my business I had a day where everything was great and I didn't have to solve some sort of problem. Absolutely. Some absolutely. bigger than others, smaller problems, but um, yeah, I've been solving them for my whole life. Yeah, in fact, I tell you, know, if you think about it, your ability to problem solve has a direct correlation to you know, the earning potential, absolutely. right? I mean, the bigger the problems you're solving, or the bigger the platform that they play themselves out, there's a correlation there. And so I, I, I'm, I'm blessed, you know, when you look at these assessments, whether it's the disc profile or leading from your strengths, or I, I, I look for problems. Yeah. Like I can't, if you ask me, you know, what I'm, you know, something that I, like I, I just undeniably look for problems. Mm. I'm passionate right. about problems. Right, right. <laughs> You know, so sure. I get up in the morning looking for something right, right. to fix. And my wife doesn't like that all right. the time. <laughs> <laughs> right, you right. Know, but, uh, but in reality, man, yeah, I, uh, problem solving brings me joy. Yeah. And so as a result, I'm not, a, I'm not as afraid of failure. Right. Because odds are in order to solve the problem, I have to look at it and take risk from maybe 10 different angles right. before I figure it out. Yeah. And I think some people are more risk averse. Yeah, it all makes sense now why you started the company Amazing CEO because yeah. – Companies have problems. Absolutely. Every company has problems, and having somebody that's looking for the problems outside of the company, because I think while you're in the company, you're so optimistic, Absolutely. right? You're like, Absolutely. okay, it's a problem, but maybe not. I, I mean, it's just taxes. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get it handled. Sure. But somebody that's focused on the problem, they're like, no, we need to solve this right, right now, now so it doesn't trip yeah. you up later. Yeah, that's good stuff. That, and, that and actually makes sense. Real quick, too, and I, it just hit me that that's what you asked me. I didn't answer it earlier, but how did I even get into starting Amazing yeah. CEO? And so I actually kind of stumbled into it. Mm -hmm. And what I, so in summary though, it was the reality that a lot of the people who are running these major companies and or a lot of successful entrepreneurs, there were people helping them solve the problems of the business, mm -hmm. but not the problems that they were having both outside of the business and or in result of having the business. So you help both. You help with both parts. Exactly. Of that. Like exactly. So it's a really a holistic approach to, again, seizing business problems, but through the lens of the human being. Gotcha. And I think, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think that that's a different model and what I call a redemptive approach to mm. to solving problems in the marketplace. Uh, because, again, most people are looking at how do I come in and look at your systems, your technology, et cetera, in order to make money off the business itself. Right. I want to come in and say, how do I help you, the individual? Because if I can help you, the individual, odds are the byproduct is then we can now move toward helping the business. Right, right. And, and that, that's a little bit of a different model. And it's a longer term journey and mm. walking with the client and right. walking with the people. Wow. And yet, I love every second of it because in the end, what I care about more is that the people are healthy and that the people are progressing. Mm -hmm. And I just, from the root of me, believe that the byproduct is that the business 
at least has a better chance of success. Right. It won't always be successful, right? Because, you, you know, I mean, 90% of businesses fail within the first three years. So sure. that tells us something. Mm -hmm. If you start 10 businesses, nine out of 10 might not make it, right, generally right. speaking. Mm -hmm. So you should, and those of us who aren't risk averse, right. we're okay with that. Right, 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 right. Let's <laughs> just know? hurry up and get through right, these nine. Right, but, but through that process, people have pain that they have to deal with. And hopefully there's someone else like me out there that can help them navigate the course of that pain. Good, and so, good. yeah. I love it. All right, well, last question. We want to wrap this up. Okay. Um, but I like to, well, it's not a, yeah, it is a question. So I like to make predictions. Hmm. Um, I would like for you to make a prediction of who Anthony Flynn will be, you, your company, where you'll be in the next five to 10 years so that we can look back at this in the year 2024 and I could look and say, yo, Anthony said he was going to do that. Hmm. Well, he actually did it. 10 years later, he actually did it. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I just want to get it documented on camera. Okay. What you know you'll be able to accomplish, and we don't, can't tell the future, but what you feel like you'll be able to accomplish in the next five, 10 years? Well, that's a great question. And I think my goal is to be one of the most appreciated executive and business coaches in the world. Hmm. And and notice I didn't say wealthiest or anything, but, but – I want my platform, I, I, want, I want people, the impact that I'm able to have on people and their businesses, I want to see that celebrated all over the world, not for self-glorification whatsoever, uh, not for self-aggrandizement, but I want the testimonies of impact to carry themselves so that I'm invited to be able to go into great spaces and impact businesses at the highest level. Wow. Because if you think about what's driving and moving our economy, it's these top companies in the world. Mm -hmm. And I wanna be at the table with those key decision makers who are you know, billionaires and who are top-notch, considered top-notch CEOs because they're the ones impacting the lives of tens of thousands of people on a daily basis. Wow. And so I wanna be highly regarded and highly respected in those spaces, 100% for the sake of influencing at that leadership level so wow. that we can do business differently in our world wow. uh, and in our economy. I love it, I love it. Well, listen, there you have it. Uh, a whole bunch of gems. You just sat through a master's class so you watched mm -hmm. this whole interview, man. Uh, Anthony Flynn, I appreciate you, my brother. Uh, please just uh, leave us with some departing words. And how they, first off, tell us how we can contact you and then give us some, some drop the mic information. Absolutely, so uh, Instagram, Anthony Flynn underscore AC, mm -hmm. Anthony Flynn underscore AC on Instagram, and that's for Amazing CEO. Uh, you can email me directly, A Flynn. Of course, I'll push it to my assistant, yeah. but A Flynn, A F L Y N N, at amazingceo.com, A Flynn at amazingceo.com. And I truly believe, man, and just as a, I, I just go biblical, man, your gift will make room for you and bring you into the presence of great men. It's real that your gift really will make room for you and bring you to the presence of great men. I, I have, I'm living it, the, mm -hmm. the example of someone who found something they were decent at, right, you know, right. and, and it's working. And, and I, it's like I'm a magnet for CEOs, executives, and people who, who live at high levels in our culture, mm -hmm. but who don't feel they have other people around them that they can go to. Right. And, uh, and so, uh, by stepping into that responsibility that God gave me, I, God is sending the people. 
And I've been able to be a blessing to so many key influencers in our world, people who are running multi-billion dollar companies, mm. literally. And, uh, and so, man, it's been a gift. It's been wow. a blessing. Wow, what Anthony Flynn, man. I appreciate you, my brother. And uh, make sure y'all follow, follow, okay? Especially his Instagram. He got some great stuff on there. Follow him on all social platforms. Share this with somebody else, okay? Also, if you're looking to sponsor our podcast, reach out to us, info at realsocialproof.com. Mr. Flynn, I appreciate you, my brother. Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. Thanks for all you do, man. Yes, sir. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.